HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, guys, it's a special New York City Beer Week episode. We are hanging out at the gate in Brooklyn, uh, one of the better beer bars and old school beer bars in Brooklyn. One of the first, Brooklyn. Jimmy. My good buddy Sean McCain is How's the it going, man? curator of beer, bro. Tell us about this night. We got Well, this was original arranged by, OG. Uh, by, uh, by Pat Fondiller. He happened to have an idea of bringing uh, two amazing breweries from Troy, New York, down. Uh, Rare Form and... I'm sorry, the Rare Form from Troy and then Mike Schatzel's Thin Man from uh, Buffalo. Then he wanted to bring in these different beer bar owners, like 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 Dave over here from The Rock, and uh, what's going on, guys? James uh, from Bronx Ale House. Nice to see you guys. And it spiraled. Then they invited me, and then three hours ago I found out I was going to be your co-host. You're awesome. And also <laughs> we got uh, hello. That, that's Kevin. Kevin from Airform Brewing. So we got, you know, this is a, a pretty cool show for me because so many of us have been together a long time, beer reps, bar owners, and um, done a lot of things in, in the craft beer community, you know. We were there before the, the New York City Beer Week. We were there doing good Brazil bar stuff. So we're just going to we'll chat a little bit. Um, I think I think we're going to start with, um, with Dave and uh, Kevin from Troy because... You're kind of the reason why the, the event was put together tonight. So why don't you, um, Dave, just, just give us a little backstory about you and the Ruck, because that's another one of those great beer bars in, in uh, New York State that you always heard about. And I've only been to Troy once, but I'm going there July 20th for the uh, some f- far- burning farming man up in uh, Altamont. Yeah. Well, we look forward to seeing you in Troy when you get up there in July. Um, the Ruck is uh, a work in progress. It's been around for 21 years. It opened up its doors in January of 1998. Um, just a college bar slash local hangout. And uh, I worked there the day it opened, and I had the good fortune of working my way up the ladder. And in 2004, I was able to take over the reins and start uh, pushing on some things uh, to be progressive. And the first thing we recognized was uh, beer selection. So craft beer was definitely our conduit to to grow and, and sustain. And it still is. I mean, you are have always had the best selection in uh, the capital region, as far as Thank I'm you, concerned. Sean. And the Ruck, 
talk to us about that. I mean, I know you're a huge rugby guy, right? That I am. So it was called The Ruck before you uh, you were involved with it? Yeah, so the original owners of, of The Ruck were uh, rugby teammates from Siena College over across the Hudson River and Loudonville, New York. So you knew them? Yes. Uh, right on. The, my, my boss was my rugby coach at RPI when I attended Rensselaer uh, back in the late 90s. So... Uh, Long story short, I didn't really move forward in my RPI career, but I did move forward in my ruck career. <laughs> yeah, you did, man. I'll tell you what, and we thank you for that. And then there's, there's a lot of smart guys in this industry. I always love the guys that, you know, RPI is what? Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. One That's of the best engineering schools in America. Right up there with MIT. So this guy was a brain. To me, it's like the Jack Kerouacs of the world. Always do well, you know. Jack Kerouac, who's from my neck of the woods, Lowell, Massachusetts. He was a football player. Smart guy went to Columbia. I love his haikus. Yeah, man. <laughs> so, but how, how did that influence you? I, 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 that's what I love about. This. I think that's part of the show is the, the OG guys, and we should talk about our, our hidden talents. Maybe that's where the show goes. Because uh, you're a rugby player, but you're a smart guy. And then what, what made you get into the, the bar business? Um, no different than uh, playing football in high school and playing rugby in college. It was uh, you know, the team camaraderie piece, uh, the stewardship piece, you know, um, that if you're good at what you do, that you help others rise along with you in your efforts. And uh, it's kind of the foundation of leadership and, and stewardship. So with that being said, I, I've been able to allow, allow myself the opportunities to grow and have a lot of great people to um, inspire me to grow. And as a result, I've been able to kind of pay it forward and help others uh, just appreciate the, uh, the biography of craft beer. And let's ask, well, no, I'm not done, Sean. You're on my show. Come on. Give it to Sean. No, Sean, you're an interesting guy, too. So we're going we're gonna to try to shape the show. Uh, you had a different background. You, you've got some artistic and creative background. Yeah, I started off. What are your hidden? We were an actor. You had some, some, some actor, interesting a, backgrounds. You know, I, I, I believe, like, like what uh, Dave's talking about, it's all about bringing people together and finding ways to rise people uh, to, the, to their level of success. And for a long time, I wasn't doing that. Until I uh, rebooted my life maybe 11 years ago. And then but I decided I wanted to be a leader in the craft beer community. And I hope I mean, I we am. knew you most when you, were, when you were selling beer for Victory and then you were selling beer for Bronx, Bronx Brewery. The Greenport and before that, Union Beer. But now I'm the curator of beer. And I, I, I'm just sort of looking at this new landscape where you see 7,000 breweries. Most of them make an amazing liquid. But how do you sustain life as a professional brewery? Yeah. Right? Well, let's talk about And then the other guys, well, I, James. That's why we should talk to Kevin, I, I think, right there. Okay, Kevin from Rareform. Tell us about your backstory and how you got into this. Sure. Because um, you have hidden talents, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Well, search for them. That might be really hidden. Um, but uh, I got into it uh, when I was actually in high school. Um, I went to visit my brothers in college. And uh, he picked it. He wanted me to go to see what a college course was like. And I picked a chemistry course, went to it. And the, the, this is in Colorado. The uh, professor came down and he had his backpack and his coffee and started talking about this process. We're going to be built, making this, going through this process today. And he would take out his backpack. He would take like a book and put this, like this book equals this, this coffee equals this. And he kind of worked his way down and t would take stuff off the table and put it back on the table at the very end. He took his backpack down and he pulled a beer out of the table and he put it on the put it on the table and said, "We just made beer today." And I was like, "Holy, what? Like we can actually make beer? I don't have to find someone to buy it for me." Um, so I was a junior in high school and started brewing that time, and that was in the '90s. Um, and been kind of brewing since then. Fell in love with it right then. Started bartending in craft beer bars in Colorado, and then moved to Seattle. Lived in Seattle for years doing it, and then moved over here, and we opened up in uh, 2014 in Troy. 
Is one of your beers here today? Do, do we is. get a rare form? Yeah, we have a, a Schwartz beer here that's brewed with uh, smoked raisins, uh, some rye, some caraway, and also Urfa Biber chili. So an Urfa Biber chili is a chili that brings out this fruit characteristic, enhances some of the raisin notes to it, but doesn't bring in any heat or anything along those lines. Let's... Let- I mean, there's there's a really nice complexity to this. I mean, everything that you just said, I don't taste, which is great because yes. that's all about the the recipe and everything coming together. Yeah, I think one of the things about it too. I think when you when you're having those flavors and one of those things is it's. I don't like when you have a beer that's so overpowering that it just. It, it just is one thing and that's it. It should reach out and extend through that and have a complexity to it that everything has nice subtleties to it. Yeah, one thing that's interesting, my buddy Ben Keen, the editor at Beer Advocate, yeah. he's, he's out in Pacific Northwest tweeting about his favorite smoked beers. And uh, a lot of people are talking about smoked beers. And, and, and Three's made a really good one uh, recently, Short Fuse, which was like a, a smoked pale ale or something. Yep. Yeah, I wonder, with this smoke, we wanted to stay away from actually smoked grain and so the only thing that smoked is the raisins on cherry wood yeah and james uh, let's just talk about smoke beers now i mean do you, do you carry any smoke beers at uh, the bronx yeah House? i mean i mean smoke beers have been kind of popular with uh maybe us beer geeks for a while uh those of us that know like the original smoke beers like schlenker or something but they're really making a comeback um in the bars with you know Maybe more lightly smoked than Schlenkler or using smoked ingredients like the guys at Rare Form are using. Uh, but they're definitely kind of, you know, getting some traction again now. Yeah, and then, uh, Dave, you know, so in Troy, I mean, pretty much is the beer scene the same as, as New York and, and the East Coast? I mean, in terms well, of, like, what people are ordering, are people ordering smoked beers? What's really amazing about the Troy uh, populace is that we're a very small city of 50,000 people. But um, the palate is incredibly eclectic. Um, we 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 really try to be as uh, savvy with the styles of beer, and we try to represent as many styles of beer as possible. And now that it's wintertime, a lot more smoked beers and malt-forward beers and big decadent beers come out, uh, and people really enjoy them this time of year. Is it true? I, mean, I know you brought a friend here. I can't say his name because he works for the state. But if you, if you work for the state, don't you start getting out early at like 3 o'clock and start going drinking? Is that what you guys do? Don't you can't say anything on the air, but uh, he's saying absolutely. <laughs> so your core of in Troy, your core is all the uh, state employees that get off early and drink. Uh, state, county, uh, municipal, the local municipality. Uh, it's kind of the, uh, the our cheers. You know, you, you'll see a construction worker next to a lawyer, next to a state worker, and uh, next to a professor from one of the universities. It's uh, it's pretty pretty diverse yeah and james what's your crowd like up up in the bronx now uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah it is very much the same i mean we we get um i would say our biggest crowd of professionally are teachers and as a as a former high school english teacher uh i appreciate that crowd very much because i know how much they need a drink after work um but uh, you know, in our do you local area, specials for teachers. Yeah, we do actually. Every uh, Friday afternoon, all the teachers get ten percent off everything um, uh, until seven p.m. every night. Um, which it starts at eleven a.m. Should they get out that early? <laughs> if they get out for lunch, they can uh, have a beer. But I won't tell their parents, the parents of the school. Um, but yeah, that's that's our 
biggest single profession there. We're right next to Manhattan College where we are, so we have a lot of uh, of that crowd. So it's, it's a really eclectic crowd of the neighborhood people, which is uh, such a mix of the old Irish, the younger, mostly uh, Latino um, population of the neighborhood, the the college that's right next door. Um, all of the people that visit Van Cortlandt Park. So, you know, it's a great eclectic mix. And something that, you know, when I first started out in craft beer, it it wasn't a very mixed crowd. And bringing that, this scene up to the Bronx has been kind of really cool to see more and more people of all kinds get involved in craft beer. That's great. And another uh, great beer bar guy who's now also uh, got a hand in a brewery, um, Patrick Doniger. Hello, Jimmy. And How are you, mate? I'm doing so, good. Let's Yourself? talk. I want to think about you, you, the old days. You know, you, you were behind the Rattling Hum, which was a good beer seal bar, and you've got quite a few really great beer bars yeah. right now. I actually started at the, down in Brooklyn here. Cherry Tree. Cherry Tree. But, uh, yeah, that was the days I was. I used to drink an old blind tiger, and I, didn't, I was bartending around the city clubs and this and that and whatever and I fell into the tiger one time and a few weeks later I ended up at here at the gate met Pat bartending and now we're done a full circle and look at this and what, tur- what turned you on to craft beer taste simply taste. taste so you knew it back then because back then the Irish bars didn't didn't really serve craft beer no. did they I didn't drink in Irish bars. I came. No, you didn't. I immigrated <laughs> to America, Jimmy. I didn't need to go to another Irish bar. <laughs> Been there, done that. Grew up in one. <laughs> Don't let the accent fool you. <laughs> right, now, Sean, you said, now, now, get Sean. Give us your take on Patrick's honor oh, because hell no. <laughs> we're going to take a pass on this one, Jimmy. We're going to plead the fifth. On as Sean's uh, attorney, I would advise myself to get in the car and drive very fast. <laughs> No, my take on Patrick Doniger is he's a pioneer from the New York City craft beer scene. He's was not only an early adopter, but he was a freaking influencer. He made a lot of change. He re- he made a lot of waves, and uh, that's not a twenty, is it? Because I would like I only take fifties. And basically, I, I I just admired him when the first time I met him because he's got the Irish attitude of. Making, I own a bar. I'm gonna make makes things happen. But his integrity was all about craft beer, community, pushing forward, uh, flavor, um, the, the all of the good things that we are all brought here together that are in the craft beer community. Um, Patrick, when did you leave New York City to really explore what was happening outside? Like, when did you meet Dave uh, Gardell uh, the Rock? Did you go up there? Did you hear about him? But it was a while ago. But where? Tell me an influence that was outside of New York City. I guess um, before when I was at Cherry Tree, my brother Joe came down, checked it out, loved it. He had a bar in Queens. Wanted. He said, "Like, do you think you could do this in Manhattan?" I was like, "Yep." When the wheels started turning, then I would head down. I, would, I started traveling. I would Dogfish Head, Scar City. Later on, um, I would go out to Stone. I traveled around a bit, and there was a few of these few breweries that weren't even in New York yet. And I remember trying to convince them to come and do it like a tap takeover at Rattling Home and we we had to make a splash and we used to do 40 tower tap takeovers who was your first uh, Stone actually no, but uh, no alright we done Victory first and we done Stone because um, I remember we at, at Stone and uh, with myself Danny Lanigan and uh, Greg Cook and we were talking we were at his apartment we were talking about this tour uh, tap tower takeover tour 
and up New York and we were like trying to push for to get it rattling home right away and then all of a sudden six months later it blew up and he, I think he'd done it all across the country so and then Sierra Nevada all the big guys and back then it was crazy like it was insane to get 40 beers from Sierra Nevada no, Sean, at that time. I mean, Sean you're on to something these are great questions because Pat you really did make a splash with rattling home and I don't know if anybody in this room wants to give credit to what Pat Doniger has done no. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I'll be the first one to throw bouquets. Um, being in Troy, New York, and being in the capital region, long story short, um, guys like him and, and David Broderick and, and Mike Schatzel, the people that I looked up to and you know wanted to be in the same sentence or the same room with these guys back in the day, and you know here we are right now. So what a treat. We just we just went around like begging, was like we love your beer. Can we bring your beer to New York City? You know, it was like it was fun back then. Like Dave Broderick, for one thing, legend in my eyes. I wanted to do what he was doing at the Tiger back then, and I was, you know, it was really hard because nobody wanted to spend five, six bucks on a beer, you know? <laughs> and now you look at it, it's like, you know, you're buying $260 kegs of Blink Nine. It's like, this is crazy, how it grew so much. Six but, six does. <laughs> but now you see, like, Dave Broderick to me was, I looked up to him and Ray Dieter and yourself, and it was like, these are the guys that, you know, were leading the path and they were onto something. And I was just, I remember just coming into the bar and like trying this beer. And then trying this beer and like, holy shit, I was drinking shit for the last 10 years. <laughs> but, you know, it was like, and it, 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 it just you, you got my quick, attention. You and I really quick wanted to do Pat, something, and you, you, know? you picked up on things, even like, especially imports and Shelton Brothers stuff. And you, would, I, I felt like once you reopened, you opened Jeffrey and, and Fool's Gold. It was almost like you were, you could corner the market. Some somehow you yeah. had everyone. S- we were, you I got, got you got to get it to pack first. I got something first. up on a. I got something up. Something popped up on Facebook the other day with a memories thing. We had like six cantions on top at Rattling Home. Nobody came out for it. Me, Mary Isaac, Chris Guzme, drank all of them. We were bringing growlers home. We were like trying to get these cultures when because Kuz, Kuzme taught me how to brew, and it's like we were trying to do different things with this beer because we couldn't let it go to waste, and nobody understood the importance of this beer. Two years later, you know, you was on day, and people are lining up around the block. It was like, man, I just wasted a lot of beer. <laughs> uh, let's talk but, about yeah. it. Let's talk about some things. Like I was the same thing. We we, we got our first keg of, of Cantillon Goose. I remember it sitting and set for three weeks, and no one would buy it. That was about 2006, and then a few years later, I couldn't even get one. And if I got one, it would, would sell in like two hours. Yeah, I remember. Even now, I'm still like, I used to, I used to joke with BR and Bob. I was like, oh, remember the days I used to get the pick of whatever I wanted because nobody else knew what it was. And I was like, so I'm glad, but the Shannon brothers don't forget. They still make sure I get one because when you were there from the very beginning and you always take, I never, like, I never go hunting it. It was like. They, they know to put one down for us, and they know it has to spread around. And I was just over in Belgium, well, I don't know what, what time it was. I go over every year, but it's... I, Sean took me around and showed me his new expansion. I'm like, more county on for New York. I was like, I'll take that one, I'll take that one, I'll take that one. But it's, uh, you know, it's people are people are, are stepping up to the demand, and it's getting the word spread, which is phenomenal. It's like this time, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you know the bars were empty we were trying to get people in to drink this beer and now it's just crazy good and we're still a very small share of the market space in new york city you know it's like now with my own brand alewife it's still we're still being challenged going into these bars trying to sell on craft beer and still trying to get them to take a local product you know without kind of stealing other people's taps but taking the big guys taps you know it's like we don't mess around well, let's jump ahead um you know pat because you're you got your hands and everything what are some of the new, since we, we all can't get Cantillon, 
when we want it, what are the? I feel like you got to focus on the the new small breweries. So what are so some that you really you really go crazy for, and including the guys that are in this uh, room? Example: Last year, I went to the BXL Beer Fest in Brussels, and they, um, I was just actually I've gone two years now, and it's been just amazing. And these small young brewers are just taking a shot, and they're and they're like from Rome and Italy. There's there's so many great. I can't remember any of the names, of course, but there's going to be a lot of good beer coming over here very soon. Like you follow, like the Shelton Brothers are some of the best tastes in the planet. And they uh, they do just bring in the best beer, so I would just keep a sharp eye on those guys and see what they're bringing in. But if you want to talk American, like where do you go? You go any town. There's going to be some magic coming out of that town. <clears throat> like I have my eye on a few, and I'm waiting for them to come to New York. And you know, there's so many bars. Like you go to As Is or anything like that in the West Side, or Haymaker and, and French bars like this. They they know they they do what I, they done what I used to do. Like going to these, like I used to go up to Hill Farmstead with and meet uh, Dave Roderick up there, and he told me to go up there one time. And went up, met Sean, and started tasting beer. And we were bootlegging his beers back to New York before they came to New York. And it was like they were the small brewery back then. There's always small breweries to go and pick, and they have such good integrity. They're not interested in growing fast. They just want to, you know, they want to they want to please their admirers. You know, they want to try to get their beers in into different markets slowly, but. Great. And Sean, you just poured us a beer. Well, first, yeah. let's recap. So we had the rare form. What was that? A smoked beer? We had the, uh, it was a Raison. Schwarzbier. Schwarzbier. From Bomberg-influenced a <laughs> right. uh, black lager. Then we had this Thin Man, which we didn't talk about at all. This delicious, delicious. Uh, tart ale, sour ale. Yeah, um, But delicious. now Patrick came in and just blasted my mind with alien technology. Which is a ten percent stout. I don't know anything more about it other than I want it all the time, except not tonight. Because I would not guess that, that was ten percent, though. That tastes it's, so, it's so easy. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Um, so we've got alewife, and we've got, and I think if you look at our posts, Aaliyah will have the uh, actual beers that we're drinking in rare form. In rare form. So let, let's talk to Kevin. So Kevin, you know, you're, you're brewing in Troy. You know, some of the influences we've been talking about, things that Pat said. G- give us your take on things, you know, and you can ask and talk with Dave, Dave Gardell here, too. So, Sure. Um, you know, for us, it was interesting because I came from growing up in Colorado and, and working at craft beer bars there that, you know, when we would have Tuesdays and Thursdays, the beer bar I used to work at, you know, we'd have 40 beers online. The majority of it was all Colorado beer, and this is late 1990s. Uh, Tuesday and Thursday, you would be able to get two dollar liters of any colorado beer it was crazy um so uh from that and then moving to seattle and then coming over here from seattle um we actually didn't think that we were gonna open our brewery in seattle we came over here for my wife's grad school and then we're gonna be heading back to um back to seattle we thought we'd open the brewery out there uh and then kind of fell in love with the east coast and decided to do it in troy so when we came in into it um one, we didn't know anybody in this area, but we were also coming from a different perspective of what the beer culture was in, in the, you know, on the West Coast, in Seattle area, Portland area, and then also from Colorado. So it was kind of a little bit um, a shake-up and a wake-up call in a way of just being like, what we have these other ideas. What, what years were you in Seattle and Portland during that time? Because that was a very pivotal time. In, uh, in for us, when we, we left there in 2009, moved there in 2004, 2003, uh, left there in 2009 to come out here. So when we were there, there was only a handful of breweries um i knew everyone that was there at the time um they were starting to do that's actually when they were starting to put in, in little 
storage units. They're opening storage units, and the storage unit people were shutting them down, and had to, all everyone had to find spaces at the same time. So it was kind of crazy at the moment, um, and that's when we left. Um, but uh, you know, it's so it was interesting to come from there and that approach and that, and then coming in and trying to absorb as much of the East Coast as we could. Yeah, and then um, Dave, you know, you're up there in Troy. You're 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 buying beer. You're interacting with a lot of brewers and stuff. Between Patrick and and Kevin, why don't you, why don't you ask a couple questions of these guys? That, you know, what's going on for them as brewers, or what? You, what? You, let's say you're you're buying their beer. You want to ask a question. Let's let's get a real uh, a rich OG uh, beer bar question. When you're a beer bar guy, you've got all these people coming to you now. It used to be well, the new beer of the week, and now it's like there's thousands of breweries. Well, How do you deal with back it? Back then, back then it was all about the story, and it, and I still feel it's that's very relevant, and I think it's it's very necessary. I think it's mission critical for craft beer to continue to sustain and grow. Is that you need we're in a high handshake, high high five environment, high volume environment, and uh, you know, without the connection to the owner of the brewery, the brewmaster, the sales rep, um, one of the, one of the many things that made this, the ruck successful was the relationships we had with our with our brewery reps. Sean McCain was one of the first ones at Victory and Bronx, uh, you know, Greenport Harbor. Uh, yeah, as he as he changed his hats, um, all of my tin taggers are still up at the ruck. Just saying that. That that's a fact. And your tap hands. And your tap handles as well on the ceiling. But long story short, it was um, it was the uh, the connection. So like if if uh, if Pat had his brewery 10, 12 years ago, I'd ask him about himself, his life story. You know wh- why why craft beer? Why do you, why did he put his name in the hat? Why why is he so passionate about it? Talk about the beers. You know rhyme and reason. Tell me about the styles. You know what was the inspiration behind it? And then we would literally just that's take it. That Give it to Pat. Pat and, and pass it along. You just say he just asked a question. Um, Hey, what's your passion, man? You're not, you, you sw- now you're a brewer. I go, this is our I go, um, your passion. You know, here are a head brewer, and I like you know we just talk about what recipes we want to do, what kind of beers we want to do. We look at the market. Honestly, we don't really care about the market that much. We want to make beers that we want to drink. We don't like this imperial stout we done. Haven't had a Russian imperial stout in a long time, and we want to do back to the basics kind of thing, uh, base recipe, and then build on it. Um, we done it with our IPA when we come out. We went malt heavy on a lot of things, and then we we said like you know we just wanted to aim for balance. And you know what the market now just wants. Well, I'll say guys, this uh, the off. end of beer away, week. Jimmy. You're getting cut off. The, the end of beer week. Uh, it's kind of nice to have a Russian Imperial Stout, isn't it? Kind of cuts through. Yeah, well, I mean, I would say one thing as a you know a buyer owning a bar and buying the beers there. One thing the market is very saturated with now is the the hazy IPA that everybody loves including myself but everybody's making so sometimes a brewery that differentiates itself by doing something different making a new imperial stout that that is a little out of the box and the box is Northeast IPA, New England IPA, whatever you want to call it, um, is really refreshing. So a Schwartz beer and a an Imperial Stout really kind of like hits the mark right now, you know? I always felt that way. Like, you know, for you guys, especially when you're in the business, it's like, you know, you, you get a long night, you might start with the pills, you go to an IPA. I always love these other styles. I love going with a Belgian triple, and I, I would drink a Russian Imperial Stout at the end of the night. But you always need, I, I feel like you need the full range of beers. I don't know if anyone wants to, to join in on, you know, the progression of beers. It's kind of important. I think beer is a culture like wine. 
and I'm sure that you guys have a sense of progression. You know, th- yeah, I'll take that one. Go for it. Uh, if you want to start the night off right, you need a, something that's going to be a party starty, a party starter, a party. St- a, oh, wow, geez. Apparently, that Imperial Stout was a little higher in alcohol than I thought. But what you were just saying about a Belgian triple, like I want a Belgian triple at the beginning of the night. At the end of the night, that is a night ruiner, right? Because it's nine to eleven percent alcohol. It's got all that candied sugar that's just going right through me. So we got Bobby. Bobby's coming up. Bobby Gadden from the gate. Chaotic today. Patrick Vondouillet, why don't I? You know, I call you the French Canadian yeah, from yeah, New England. But why don't you introduce the owner of the gate? For us. Uh, this was like, uh, you know, I, I, most people probably know who I am. I worked here for a very long time, 12 years actually. And uh, Bobby's one of my very best friends, and he's the proprietor of this fine establishment. And uh, we're going to bring him in and talk to him about the place. I love this place. Thank you. And you know, Bobby, we, we did in the show here a couple years ago with uh, the owners of Green That's right. Flash. That's right. And, and, and we didn't get to you for that one, so. I'm feeling lucky. I think I was out of town. You, you always host the best things, and I, I, I saw your draft nice, list. we got a nice little booth here. I've never seen this many people <laughs> in this room. In I, saw, I saw your draft list, and um, I'm always really impressed with this place. I mean, J- James here from Bronx House, we were saying just how great, just how great, um, you know, this is. As a, It's a prototype beer bar, right, guys? It's like perfect. It's like the bar is nice. There's little nooks to go sit in. There's an outdoor space. But today online, I saw your beer list and I was like, wow, this is really why we have like a good beer seal and why we care about, you know, this part of the industry, because you're doing it, man. You're doing it right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. I mean, for, for this place, it was always the, I mean, 1996, we took the spot and it was Crazy. beer focus. 24 draft lines, you know, in the, in what was then considered to be you know experimental parks the and, and edge of park slope and uh we haven't looked back great why don't you guys well, let's those guys sitting here ask ask bobby some questions because james you've had a uh, the bronx Hill house for a while and you know you know each other yeah well uh we've been at the bronx Hill house uh only 10 years which pales in comparison to the gate but the gate is one of the reasons why the bronx Hill house and probably many other you know craft beer focused bars in the city exists because guys like me came to the gate <laughs> so um i guess the, the question i would have was what made you think in 1996 that this was going to work <laughs> faith i guess faith uh for for me it was i was i worked with dave broderick down in tribeca he opened up the blind tiger i worked at the blind tiger and then, um, and I met Brian Delaney in those days too, and we all just started talking a about Spring Lounge, you know, the Spring Lounge, and our uh, our unified enthusiasm for beer uh, got us talking, and you know, spaces came up, and this one came up, and I had never really thought about anything but Manhattan. Came out here, looked at the space, and I walked through the door, and something said yes. It took a couple years. So in the beginning, it was, uh, it was uh, I remember Sam Calagione coming up for one of his first beer events, and we sat in the corner with about five people in the bar and thought, it's going to work. It did. It was 1997 oh, or 8. That's, we were a few years behind, and it took a little longer to, to grow to the Bronx, but that's really 
kind of the story we had is, uh, you know, I managed a place called George Keeley's, which is now 17 years old on the Upper West Side. Um, and we said, let's do this in the Bronx. And we, we had a little bit of the same growing pains because, you know, our local clientele there kind of still needed to be educated a little bit or not even educated but just get used to what we were serving and and realize that this is really great stuff and um i mean you remind me of you know the first couple years here with uh what 10 years later ish uh where we were putting we were putting beer in people's hands you know and talking to them about it and quickly realizing that that the smaller core of of regulars that we had at that time were were here a lot i mean they came out now what do you got on? Now what do you got for me? I really like that last, and that was that was really where it started to generate. Yeah. And you get those that enthus- you build that enthusiasm across the, the counter, and look where we are now. You know, I mean, Bobby. You know what? I came in here tonight at the gate, and you have a couple customers here tonight that were here when you first opened. Yeah. Oh yeah. That that's a, some that's something special. Yeah. I mean, it's James, do you remarkable. aspire to that? That you have this, you'll have the same regulars after 20 years that you did when you started yeah and and, you know we do like we're we're just about to hit our 10th anniversary and we we do have the same customers that were with us day one some of them were the so-called craft beer geeks and some of them are those people that just saw a nice looking bar and wanted to come in and we kind of handed them a beer that we said Oh, you're drinking this? Well, drink this instead. <laughs> and and they really took to it and um and it's taken off. And now we you know, we, we we've hosted some of their weddings and uh and funerals. <laughs> a little everything. But but we've really built a community and that's what you know all of us are here in this uh, tiny little dart room about is the, the communities we've built between the brewers and the bar owners and the distributors with this craft beer thing over you know 20 years or so now so bobby you said we're, we're up in this little real quick real quick i think that when you when you say the word community that really is you know where it, it this was a always intended to be a local neighborhood establishment and the, then the craft beer community met the actual community and it just it's burgeoning that enthusiasm and, and it's what we do in this business we're in the service industry we're about the people around us the people who walk through the door well bobby you know it's like you, you've really stepped up the game and i still love the the beer bar guys and i know we're all talking about breweries and stuff but to me it's always like the good beer bar is is a temple of beer it's kind of like a good restaurant or, or a good place. You're ultimately, you're about serving the customer, and you're evolving. You're evolving with tastes, yep. but you're also the taste makers too. Yeah. I mean, is, is there anything like the, the list you have today? Let's just go through the list. Uh-huh. What are some of the beers that, that you like on this list today? Because it's well, it's fun I mean, to talk about it, and it's pretty a pretty great list, isn't it, James? A lot of the list is uh, I have not tried yet. I mean, this is a lot of the stuff is first time here. You know, I mean, the brewery we know. The breweries we know, but uh, the beers themselves, I'll let you know in a couple hours, you know. <laughs> well, we had, but, you had Rare Form, you know, we, we had Thin Man, you got Alewife. Yep, and we, you know, we, we always try to run the spectrum. That's kind of what we all do is you try to keep everything out there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Diane Stemple. And I'm Elena Santagade, and we're the hosts of Cutting the Curd here on Heritage Radio Network. 
Featuring interviews with makers and mongers and everybody in between, this show is a downright funky look at the world of artisan cheese. You can find Cutting the Curd wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super-duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. We've got another guest here. Who is this and what's your name? This is Alan Rice from City Swiggers Beer Shop. So again, an, another place, a good beer seal place, some, some of the best selection in the city. Um, you know, we've been talking a little bit about Beer Week and you know, the OG beer bars and stuff. Um, give us your take on it, because you, you've been there since the beginning. Tell us how you got started. Did you have some hidden talent <laughs> that brought you to the business? I think that's what we're on right now. My hidden talent was hanging out of places like the Gates and uh, the Blind Tiger and DBA and meeting a lot of people back then. And when I got tired of a regular job, my hobby was beer, so I opened a beer shop. On We ended up on uh, East 86th Street because there was nothing there. Well, tell me, so when City Swiggers opened, I mean, again, did, was it a leap of faith for you or you kind of knew that, oh, that neighborhood really needed something, what you were doing? Uh, both. Yeah. But we looked all around, and it just turned out to be the spot, and I'm glad we ended up there. So in, in, in the room tonight, this is going to be a great party here. I mean, just mention some of the, the guys and establishments that are here that, that you, you know. Well, I, I just walked in and got thrown right over here, so i got to warm up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, there's, there's and Sean couple, McCain's uh, going to say well, something here. I know both warmed up. first of all. <laughs> first of all, Alan Rice, I met Alan Rice. You were a Blind Tiger regular for a very long time, and then you made the decision uh, with you and your wife to open up City Swiggers. It was a big change for you. It was not. What did you do before you did City Swiggers? I did... Uh, I was day trading stocks. Before that, I was doing rules and regulations for uh, Wall Street type places. Right. So when I met you, I was working for Victory, and you were just wanting to drink beer and talk about. We were hanging out, you know. We were just talking about beer, enjoying it, and then you made a decision, a very big one, to up the game and bring to the Upper uh, East Side a really great craft beer takeaway place, which wasn't done before because it was it was a blended. Uh, it was the blended license, right? So you could drink there, and you could also take it away. Nobody was doing that. You were the first. Uh, the, the first, other than Earls. Uh, well, the first up there, but yeah, I got to give credit to Beercraft that was just a few blocks away from here, and uh, also uh, a shout out to uh, Ray from DBA. He uh, he was yeah he was someone I was talking to just before we opened. Unfortunately, that's about when he passed. Well, wow. let's get go. these last guys in. So the new guys, you guys introduce yourselves, say where you're from, and uh, so happy that you guys are here. I am uh, Mariana Roof. I work at Covenhoven uh, in Prospect Heights. Uh, we've only been open for about four years now, but still paying homage to the OG uh, craft community. And here's this one over here. I'm Adam from Finback Brewery. Uh, stopping by the party. Nice. It's a great scene going on over here. It's been a it's been a it's been a fun week already. So you know, just so Finback, you guys now you're you're one of your owners. Basil is the president of the New York City Brewers Guild. That is correct. How was the opening bash? The opening bash was amazing this year. A um, lot of great breweries, a lot of great beer. Uh, we had a a great turnout, uh, and it's it's just getting better every every year. 
So let's give a shout out to the gate. We're going to wrap up soon, but give a shout. You guys came. This is a great party. Let's just sum it up. What you know, you got invited. What are some of the other brewers and bar owners here that, that you'd like to say hi to? I literally just showed up, so I don't even know everybody that's here. <laughs> but everyone's uh, leaving. But pretty much everybody in this New York uh, community that's brewing great beer is doing a great job. Transmitter, KCBC, Folk Beer, other half, everybody. They're all doing great. See, that's a loyal New York City craft beer member right there. I love it. And then Alan. Now Alan's getting jazzed up. So, Alan Rice. This is the interview I wanted for like five years. Alan Rice, City Swiggers, one of the top uh, beer shops in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Well, uh, we are a Finback bar. They're almost always on tap, and we grab the cans whenever we can. So. And uh, w- one person I do want to give a shout out to is uh, Dave Rodriguez, who is now with Five Burrows. But uh, when I first started, he was my Union Beer area rep, my route rep. And he helped convince me to go to the Upper East Side because he didn't want to have to go downtown to get samples. <laughs> no, that's great. But guys, since, since we have Finn back yeah. here, I'm, I'm interested how you guys um, kind of rolled out the can program. Because just a few years ago, it was new for um, you know, local breweries. Yeah. But your can program's like pretty pretty solid, isn't it? Uh, we have some excellent can beers. Um, in terms of rolling out the can program, I mean, we we basically got we started off using uh, Ironheart and quickly realized that it was in our best interest to um, get our own canning line. So we uh, about two years ago purchased our own Wild Goose canning line and. Uh, it's just been rolling ever since. I mean, we just we crank cans. I mean, we're pa- we're packaging two, three new beers every week uh, in cans and kegs. Now let's talk about the impact of cans. I mean, this is like a whole nother show, and we've done a lot of these. Um, but the change from draft and bottles to cans, I mean, changed I mean, the whole industry. Cans is, I, I mean, sixteen ounce cans is is it's it's the standard. It's everything now, and it's it's your marketing half the time. I mean, your brand recognition is the cans. Great, Alan. I, I want you to talk about because you got a bottle shop and. The, the, the best thing about the cans was it killed the bomber. I always hated the pricing on bombers and twenty-two ounce yeah. bottles. The, the, yeah, twenty-two ounce bottles are great if you don't break up your six packs, but we always did. So, uh, and now you look at them and it's like, okay, here's a an IPA that's four weeks old from uh, the West Coast. I don't want it because it's in a bomber. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not the right container for a 22 ounce. So that's the one thing that cans really changed was the availability of fresh beer delivered in the correct container. Now, however, we have been receiving currently and are drinking a bottle that is in a, I don't know, what's 330 milliliter uh, bottle? Uh, tequila barrel aged. So this is a Finback. Variant, yes. This is our BQE. Uh, First of all, Sean, tequila, this is an awesome beer. This is an awesome oh beer. Uh, so we were, f- so we've done the BQE almost since our inception. It's one of our most popular beers. It sells out. There's lines at the brewery for it, uh, but we usually do variations on it, um, a few different ones. Finally, this year, so we did our normal three variations, which were this year a chestnut, the standard, and uh, the salty caramel. But we were also able to finally source some tequila and mezcal barrels, which are tricky to get. Uh, for more than one reason, cost and sourcing. Uh, but we finally got two of each, and we put our BQE in mezcal barrels and tequila barrels, aged them out for close to a year, and uh, got some delicious, delicious beer out of it. 
let's talk about Covenhoven. Um, you guys came on the map and you've had made a really great. I mean, basically, all the beer writers in New York City for a while, Josh Bernstein, Justin Kennedy, all live within walking distance of Covenhoven. So you got on the map fast, but you got a great little spot. <laughs> so, yeah, we are going to turn five at the end of March, actually. And I uh, just saw Josh today. He's been covering some new stories, and he's also, like, you know, burnt out. Like, it's beer week. It's everyone's anniversaries. It's about to be everyone's anniversaries. There's too many beers. I'm losing my mind. My daughter's five. What's going on? So... You, as, as from Finback, what do you love about shops like Covenhoven? Covenhoven uh, specifically has an incredible vibe. It's like being home when you're there. Uh, the way the music is curated, the way that the place is set up, uh, the beer selection is absolutely incredible, and they get better beer than a lot of other places. Like, the buyers in places like Covenhoven, in places like City Swiggers, they know their beer. They know where the, where they need to get their beer from. So years ago, all these old school guys, Dave Broderick, Ray Dieter, got together and we made up the Good Beer Seal. And this is exactly what it was about. So um, keep going, Covenhoven. Um, so I actually has been going as a customer for about three and a half years before I started working there. And the wonderful thing I loved about it, I grew up in service. My family owned bars and restaurants. I have never felt such a wonderful sense of community and joy than I have at Covenhoven. I have always felt accepted. It has been so much fun. I have always had a good time. If I've had a bad day at work, working like 14-hour bar shifts, I'll go by for a beer and just... It's like it's just the neighborhood living room, honestly. And the beer menu is... It's, it's curated, they care, they will tell you honestly, like, okay, like, this beer got ordered at this time, it's been sitting on the shelf, but it's still good, or, or like, a, we're really excited, this beer is going to have a tap takeover in a week, you should come by, and it just feels like when you come back for a family party, it just feels like you're seeing all your friends, you're f- seeing your family, you're seeing your favorite no, cousins you're, all you're, over again. You're on our list, man. <laughs> I tell you, no, no, and, and, and like, Alan's here, too. Do, and I do love it. And yeah. It is one of the places that I've, I grew up, like, in and out of bars and restaurants, it is the one of the only places I've worked at where I can go and hang out on my day off and not feel stressed out. We love breweries and, love and we it. love that they have tasting rooms, but I still love the Good Beer Seal bars. Alan, yeah. tell us something that's unique about your place that's different than going to a brewery tap room. Well, all the breweries are at our place. We always have the local... So you're the ultimate tasting room. Uh, yeah, because you can crack a can too, like you can at Covenhoven. Of course, you can go out in their backyard. We don't. We're not allowed to use ours. So <laughs> that's. Uh, but you're just like you're only saying negative things about your place. No, no, no. Come no. on. <laughs> so uh, well, the cans have been amazing. Uh, the local breweries. Uh, we've had to add a, an extra shelving unit and a whole nother cooler. They each hold about 25 cases of beer when they're packed. All local cans, or uh, in the region and mostly IPAs. Uh, it's made a huge difference in our business and the number of people who are into beer and new. They don't even know what a West Coast IPA is. They love the new style of IPA, and that's and the, the local breweries are giving it to them. That's great, man. It's a, it's a nice balance, you know. We've got great, great places like Covenhoven and City Swiggers to buy the beer and other great breweries like Finback. Last thing, just one more time uh, from Finback. Just, again, what's the strong this beer is, that we're drinking? This is the uh, tequila barrel-aged BQE. So we're drinking yep. that. We, we had, um, uh, what, what was the, imp- the Imperial Stout that we just had before? You mean from Alewife. We had the Alien Technology. 
Yeah, so it's and as, as beer it ends, like kind of like a progression on a, on a good night if you're having a, a good dinner or a night out. At some point, we have to go to Imperial Styles and Stronger Beers. Also for our palates, right? I mean, <laughs> at some point in the night, it's good to have a small pour of some Imperial Stout. All right, Sean McCain, you're going to wrap it up. Come on. Well, so this is specifically for Basil and Kevin because I did a judgment at it was either Union Hall or the Bell House yeah. for a uh, the Brooklyn Home Brewers uh, thingy where I have still have a fez um, that I proudly don't wear all the time. <laughs> but when I do, I do proudly wear it. And they won. Kevin and Basil won for, a, I believe it was a Saison. It was a farmhouse style. And then I, it's when I first saw great. They I, start out as I met great them. home brewers and they became brewers. But they've always been advocates within the New York City community. And the fact that Basil's now the president of the guild and you guys are just doing so great makes me so happy so pleasure to meet you you know and and that's what New York City Beer Week's all about and then this has been a a wild live show at at the gate in Brooklyn this is New York City Beer Week 2019 Aaliyah's our our new intern today helping us out a big shout out to Sean McCain our co-host curator of beer.com Pat Fondler of Alewife it's Pat Fondler Bobby Gagnon of the gay for hosting us and you guys one more time whoever's left in the room say your name one more time Adam Fletcher from Finback Mariana Roof Torres Covenhoven Alan Rice from City Swiggers guys thanks for joining us here on Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network this is a crazy long live show it might be edited it might not but tune in and we'll, you'll be listening to this in 2019 alright rock on see ya bye bye Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.